The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Parking the Bus podcast. It is episode 43, and it is night two of Euro 2020. And I need to start off with the top story, of course. And I need to start off by saying how grateful I am tonight that I'm not opening this podcast with the story of a tragedy. I'm going to get very, very serious for a moment, okay? Um, the talking point all around the world today was Denmark's Christian Eriksen collapsing on the pitch. We don't know facts yet as to exactly what happened. We will only know in the coming days after tests have been run. Okay. But however, I have seen from uh, across social media, if you will, I have seen doctors comment and make a an estimation, a guess as to what it looked like. One doctor stated that it looked like a a cardiac arrest that was then resuscitated um, through defibrillation. Um, again, the cameras, right and rightfully so, didn't show what type of treatment was being done. So I don't know, and I'm not going to come on here and pretend to be a medical expert and try to explain what ha- you know what happened. But um, I'm very, very grateful tonight and very relieved that the news is that it looks like Christian Eriksen is going to be okay. He was in stable condition and um, a very, very, very scary moment there in that match. Uh, For me personally, brought back just horrible memories of the Hungarian forward, Miki Feher, uh, passing away on the pitch in a Benfica uniform back in 2004 where his last emotion was a smile as he laughed at the referee for a yellow card he didn't agree with, smiled, and then fell to his death. And um, I, I'm so grateful we, we didn't have the same thing happen today. This this would have been absolutely devastating. And, um, yeah, it reminds all of us to put these things in perspective. Um this is a football tournament. This is not a war. This is not life and death. It became life and death today, and we learned the difference between life and death and sport. And um, I have to say, from the darkest moment of the tournament, and probably hopefully the darkest moment we'll see in this tournament, I hope we don't see anything like this again. Okay? Um, no doubt one of the scariest things for anyone in attendance and for the players on the pitch but from that came one of the most beautiful moments. And I said that this tournament was going to be so memorable. I said this tournament was going to be something special. I never wished this, obviously, and I never imagined this. But one of the beautiful moments I think that are going to live with me forever is how the f- supporters of both Finland and Denmark came together 
And you could see the concern on both their faces and how they were just together. And then later when word arrived that Christian Erickson was in stable condition and awake. The way the two sets of supporters started singing together. And I'm hearing reports that the Denmark fans were singing Christian and the Finland fans, Erickson. Man, football is the greatest thing on planet Earth. It is the it is the greatest unifier of people there is on this planet. Nothing brings people together that have nothing else in common. Or that brings people together that have no interest in having anything else in common together the way a major tournament, the Euros, the World Cup, the Copa America do. This was obviously a, I mean, if you make a movie on this Euro, you've already got so much, so much in the first two days. I want to give a shout out to everybody also out there who uh, didn't appreciate the different media outlets around the world. I'm not calling out ESPN on this either. This is not directed at ESPN here in the United States. I'm talking about media outlets in other countries. Okay. Um, I'm not going to mention them by name, but there's plenty of tweets from very, very notable people in this game asking why these media outlets are showing some very disturbing images on rotating loops for 45 minutes. Not respecting the privacy of Christian Eriksen, of his family, of his teammates. And how about a job well done to the Denmark team for barricading around him like that, uniting around him like that, holding up those sheets so that you couldn't get cameras up in his face while his life potentially was hanging in the balance while the fantastic medics responded and saved his life, most likely. Whatever it is that happened, um, there's no doubt that his life was in danger there. And that medical team deserves the MVP of the tournament for what they did today. This is a day I will certainly never forget as long as I am at least coherent, as long as I am lucid, um, as long as I am on this earth and can recall information. I will never forget this day two of Euro 2020 because everything got really real, real fast. And it is just, I, I can't even express the relief and the joy that I feel to know that he's all right, or at least going to be all right, that he's stable, that he's comfortable, that he's alert, he's awake. I heard he even spoke to his teammates. We'll talk about how that match went after in just a moment, but I, I would have to start the show and start this broadcast by and the podcast of course by you know hitting home on this because this is the most important thing i said yesterday that i had a feeling in 30 years people are going to want to hear about this tournament that people are going to want to research it they're going to find these matches on archive whatever the media forum is in 30 years websites you know, uh, smart televisions, whatever, wherever these matches are stored. I said that I felt people are going to be searching for these matches. And part of my motivation for this podcast is I want this podcast to still be available in 30 years. 
where I covered this tournament, where I came on here and talked to you every night about it. I want this to be an audio accompaniment of this Euro 2020. I never, ever imagined something like this. But my heart sank today. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I feared the worst because I've seen it before. I remember Miki Fahir. Like I said, I remember Mark Vivian Fo. Uh, I wasn't that old. I mean, I wasn't that young anymore. I was already in my 20s when I saw these guys pass away on the pitch. And I thought, I mean, I thought the worst. I'm going to be honest. I thought the worst. And I was a little overcome by emotion and thinking selfishly, how am I going to talk about this? Well, I got hopeful after that. And um, thank goodness. Listen, I have to say thank goodness for social media at times. And today was one of those times because for everything that is heinous about social media, the amount of bullying that goes on is ridiculous. Just go out and make an unpopular tweet and see the 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 type of responses you get. You might not even be saying anything wrong. You're just saying something unpopular. See what kind of responses you get. If you hit a, a nerve and if you post it at the right time with the right mix of, of traffic, all of a sudden, you you know, you got people calling you everything under the book. Social media can be horrible, but today social media was a saving grace because that was the first place to report that Christian Erickson was stable. That was where the first images of Christian Erickson with his eyes open, with his hand on his head, oxygen mask attached, at least giving some comfort to all of us, much less to his loved ones. I mean, I can't even imagine being in their shoes, but giving some comfort to them that he appeared to be all right. Yes, television took longer to report it and they have to. You have to understand how these things work. Television can't just go report something. Too many times they do exactly like that. Too many times television and traditional media take the hot take from the internet before it's been verified, before it's got any type of reliability behind it, credibility behind it, and they throw it up and they report it as fact. Today they took their time. They showed respect for Christian Erickson and for his family. By not making sure anything they were going to report was true. They waited for official statements. We saw an official image from Getty. An official image from a news agency. That's when it got up on, on ESPN, for example. Or on BBC. Or on, you know, on Rai. On wherever you are. Whatever country you're in. Wherever you're watching. Whatever your media source is. I also have to hand it. And send, give an applause. To the commentators, because you never prepare for this. You're never prepared to narrate this type of situation. Here in the United States, it was Derek Ray on ESPN in English. In other countries, you know, each country has their own commentator commentating their feed. They all had one of the, hard, the hardest jobs they're ever going to have in their career. And that is narrating and giving information as it becomes available and is verified. To the people at home who are waiting for you to relay that information. They had to talk you through it. They had to keep you informed without overstepping bounds. That's not something you learn becoming a football commentator. So I tip my hat to them as well for a job well done today. 
And I think professionalism came through from everybody. Even for UEFA, I want to say this before we continue with this episode, before we get into today's matches, because there's three of them that we got to talk about. UEFA, listen, hindsight is always going to be 2020, and I will be the first to criticize UEFA when UEFA deserves criticism. And I think they made a mistake in playing in concluding this match tonight. However, no matter what decision they made today was going to be seen as the wrong decision by a large portion of the population. No matter what decision they came to was going to be wrong in one way or another. And we have hindsight now looking back 2020, I think it was wrong to play the match. And I feel for the Danish team to have to go through all that and then to lose. I feel for Kasper Schmeichel. He's consoling Christian Eriksen's girlfriend. Not knowing if the man is going to live or die. And then a couple hours later, he's got to go out and try to concentrate on a football game. And I understand why the players, if they did in fact agree that they had to go today, uh, decided it was better. I understand. I can also understand this feeling of relief that comes over you when you find out he's okay. You say, yeah, we can go play. The problem is the attack on the nervous system. I talk about this in so many episodes. When I talk about fatigue and I talk about wear on players and I talk about recovery, you cannot put a number on the stress that was put on the nervous system of every single one of the players on the pitch, but especially the Danish players. That was not just a player on the pitch to them. That was a friend. That was a a brother to some of them. That was a teammate, a leader, a icon of their team in some senses. And yeah, maybe the, they were overcome with relief thinking, yeah, let's go play it. We're players. This is what we do. But I have to believe that if either team had a had a psychologist on a competent psychologist on staff, a competent sports psychologist, I can't imagine any psychologist saying that those players were in the state of mind to go play a football match after that. I'm going to share a story with you. Because I've been in a similar situation, unfortunately. But fortunately, had the same happy ending. I was coaching some years ago now. I was coaching a high school team, Worcester, Massachusetts, okay? A, a small charter school. Very close-knit community, okay? And they were great because they took me in as one of them. Um, my third match in charge. My third match in charge. We're playing. And our, our, our artificial turf pitch goes alongside a driveway. And... Um, People would park up on the on the road and watch from the sidewalk because the, the road was set up a little high. It made a little bowl, almost like a stadium, but not with stands, but just with a little hill. And people would watch from the cars up top. Well, we were playing a match in which we were playing quite well. We are playing a team stronger than us. We were in it. It was one-to-one, -one and we were pushing, and we were looking like we're going to go and steal the victory. And with 20 minutes to go, a little boy... We hear the screams and all of a sudden everything stops and everybody turns to the road and you see this little boy, six or seven years old, pinned under a minivan, pinned under a vehicle. I never saw anything like that in my life. My players began to, to, to break down and cry in front of our eyes. I didn't even know who this boy was. I was brand new to the community. 
Um, I don't know if he was somebody. I still don't know if he was a family member or just a student at the school. But he's pinned under a car. The referee stops the match, obviously. And the car didn't see him, and he was doing something. He pl was playing, and somehow this vehicle got its front tire over the stomach of this little boy. I just remember the look, not just on my player, but all of a sudden here is, I'm three weeks into the job. I'm three weeks into the job, guys. And my players are breaking down in tears, and I, I'm getting teary-eyed. I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it. This was an experience that absolutely affected me. And I remember this too. Again, this is something I'll take to my grave with me. Both teams just puzzled, looking. We're consoling each other. Fortunately, the ambulance arrived quickly. We got the car off of the child. The child started to cry, which is a good sign. It was a good sign because he was breathing. And they got he ended up being okay, but we had to go back and play 20 minute more minutes of that match. Now, I could not coach. I couldn't remember what was going on. I had no, I couldn't get the image of this little boy under a car out of my head. I could not get that out of my head. And I know my players on the pitch could not focus on making their runs or picking up their marks on set pieces. This is the difference. Both teams were in shock and awe. But to us, that was somebody's little brother, somebody's little cousin in our close-knit group. We, we were unable to adjust and unable to really. We were zombies on the pitch in body only for the final 20 minutes. We lost that match 3-1. to one. And I couldn't be mad. I couldn't be mad. I couldn't have cared less that day if we won three, to, if we won or lost. Denmark, I can tell you tonight, do not care whether they not they won or lost today. They may care by the time they get around to the next match. But from what I understand, they chose to play today because they knew they'd be in worse condition tomorrow is, is what I have read. I, this is not verified. This is what I have read. Uh, this is speculation. More details will come out. But it doesn't shock me that the match went the way it did when it came back. And this doesn't, this shouldn't take anything away from Finland. This is a historic victory for Finland. But you could see it in their faces. They, they didn't feel right being happy about it. I think UEFA made a, made a poor decision because neither team w was able to really get into this match. It's just that Denmark had a harder time and understandably so. Understandably so. They were really part of the rescue. They weren't just bystanders. They really were helpful, and they were such an example of humanity. And I guarantee you tonight that they're much more relieved for their teammates' safety and health than they are worried about the three points that Finland took. Because tonight they were reminded that this is just a football match. As much as we love this game, and I love this game so much, I love it so much to the point where I spend all my free time that I possibly can watching this sport from any corner of the world I can find it. But as best said by the Portuguese coach Carlos Carvajal today on Twitter, football is the most important thing of the things that are not important at all. And then he said prayers for Erickson.
That sums it up best. It is the most important thing in the world out of things that are not important. Sometimes we, we, we get egotistical. Sometimes we take things for granted and sometimes we forget that. So we were reminded today. And I just got to say I'm counting my blessings and um, just grateful that he's okay. Okay, just grateful that we didn't witness a tragedy that we very well could have, if not for the brave, swift and highly skilled work of an incredible team of medics. Christian, we're rooting for you. We hope to see you back. But most importantly, we hope that you're going to be all right and you're going to have a normal life. That's what's most important. You're 29 years old. Still have the entire life in front of you. I'm going to take a quick break right now, guys. Um, and when we come back, we will start breaking down the matches. We'll we'll look at the first match of the day, Wales and Switzerland from Group A. All right, we're going to take a short break here on the Parking the Bus podcast, episode 43. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinho. I don't think I introduced myself there in the beginning. Uh, you see my handle on the screen if you're watching on YouTube or on www.parkingthebusmedia.com. Um you see the handle there. It's at PTB underscore media, both on Instagram and on uh, Twitter. And uh, I'll be right back. Okay. And we'll, we'll get into this match. Let me collect myself here for a moment and uh, we'll be right back. UEFA Euro 2020 this summer here on the park in the bus podcast. All right, welcome back to Parking the Bus, episode 43, day two, Euro 2020. And we're going to start the day off with a Group A match. And we are headed to Baku, Azerbaijan, the easternmost city to feature matches in this Euro 2020. And you could even argue that it's not even in Europe. It's so far east. It's east of Baghdad for the for that matter. Um, but Azerbaijan participates at least culturally in European contests. I'm not the expert uh, geographer, but it seems to be more in Asia than it does in Europe to me. But but um, it, they they take part in in European contests. Uh, they hosted Formula One last week. They have hosted uh, Eurovision Song Festival in the past. And now uh, hosting Euro 2020. Of course, they've hosted the Europa League final as well. And today they have Switzerland, Wales and Switzerland kicking off in front of a, an attendance, a official attendance of 8,782 in the Baku Olympic Stadium. And the referee was the Frenchman Clement Turpin. All right. This was the first match of the day. And let's go to the lineups here for you, starting with the Welsh side, who are managed by Robert Page, and Wales come out in a 4-3-3. Danny Ward is their goalkeeper, the Leicester City, well, the backup at Leicester City to, to Peter Schmeichel. He's the starter here for his country. Uh, his four across the back, Connor Roberts is the right back, Chris Mafam. And Joe Roden are the center back pairing with Ben Davies 
or Davis, depending if you want the American or the UK pronunciation. Um, we in the US say Davies to this, and in the UK they say Davis. Uh, he is the left back in the middle of the park. You've got three. Joe Allen is your anchor in the hole at central midfield with Joe Morell to his right and Juventus's Aaron Ramsey to his left. And in the attack, the three-man front line, Kiefer Moore is the striker. He's got Daniel James to his left. Daniel James, of course, of Manchester United. And to his right, he's got none other than the captain, Gareth Bale. For Switzerland now. In goal, Jan Sommer, the longtime goalkeeper for the Swiss. Their manager is Vladimir Petkovic, and they're playing a 3-4-1-2. Three across the back, Nico Elvedi is the left center back, with the center back being Fabian Scar and Manuel Akanji, the, the left center back. Excuse me, Nico Elvedi is the right center back. Um, four in midfield in front of them, Kevin Mababu. Um, wide on the right with Granite Shaka and Remo Fjorler in the center of midfield. Ricardo Rodriguez to the left. In the number 10 position in front of them is Sheridan Shakiri, and he's playing behind the two strikers, Briel Imbolo and the Swiss Army Knife that I know very well, Eris Seferovic. All right, and that those are the two lineups. Let's go through the ticker quickly here as... Um, well, this match was one that I think, knowing the result from yesterday, knowing Italy won 3-0, I think affected these two teams. I think both teams knew they couldn't afford to lose this match. Uh, they know three goal, three. They also should know that if they don't lose by a large amount, that they have a good chance of coming in third and then maybe seeing if they can advance as a third-place finisher. So one point for either team would definitely support them in that push. Um, so neither team wanted to lose, but I feel like I feel like Switzerland were more eager to win this match. I think Wales would be happy to take a point and then see what they can get in the next two matches. At least by the way these two teams played and the way that they came out, and the way that the match flowed, that's how it appeared to me. Uh, Wales and let's let's go to the. Sorry, I'm at the end of the match instead of at the beginning of the notes. So we start off, and it's the first meeting between Wales and Switzerland at a major tournament, uh, world meaning World Cup or European Championship. In all competitions, including friendlies, Switzerland have won five of their seven encounters. But their last meeting in October 2011 ended in a Wales victory at Swansea's Liberty Stadium in a qualifier for the 2012 European Championships. Vladimir Petkovic sticks with his usual 3-4-1-2, as we said, with Shakiri operating just in front of Shaka and Froehler. And Scar recovers from his injury to return at the back while at the other end, Mbolo partners with Seferovic, all stuff we already went over. Uh, once the anthems have gone through, we are underway in the second minute. Akanji immediately goes for a long one from kickoff, and Rodon wins the first aerial duel against Mbolo. Petkovic's men instantly regain possession, start to pass the ball around their defense, uh, start to pass it around their defense as they patiently look to carve out an opening. Uh, James gets himself isolated in the third minute, one-on-one -on -one with Mababu, and he crosses towards the front post. Moore fails to get in front 
of his opponent, which allows Summer to dive and collect it in front of the Welsh forward. We'll skip ahead a bit, and we'll go to minute 20, and it's a chance squandered here. It's Shakiri sending an inviting delivery towards the near post where Shar produces a wonderful flick as the center back looks for the bottom right corner. And Ward is quick to react, saving it with his feet to kick it away. Shar's effort from close range. The chance was all about Shakiri's cross, however, which was whipped in at real pace towards Wales' area. And the Welsh are happy to see danger averted. Again, in this first half, it was pretty pretty even, but uh, we get an opportunity in the 25th again, and it is Seferovic this time making a smart run and pass back from the right-hand channel, allowing Mababu to cross towards the far post. Davies heads it away in the initial delivery towards the edge of the area where Shaka is waiting there, and he volleys a low, hard, left-footed attempt. Ward watches it all the way wide as the Arsenal midfielders strike is just wide of the mark on the right. Seferovic again, two minutes later, spins and turns inside the penalty area. He escapes the attentions of Roden, and the Swiss forward targets the top left corner with his left-footed strike, and Ward can only stand and watch. Fortunately for Page's man, Seferovic doesn't get enough on his curl, and his shot sails wide of the post. And to be honest, again, if you follow me and you know, my Mr. Benfica podcast, 115 episodes deep. Um, well, I've seen Seferovic do this a million times. This is what Seferovic does. And uh, this is not a knock on the player because he also gets a lot of opportunities. He had 22 goals this season, but he missed about 68. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And um, he very nearly could have put Switzerland ahead here. Uh, we get the first booking of the match in the 30th minute, and Shar is unsurprisingly the first one to go into the book for a cynical foul on James. And more importantly, Bale stands over the set piece on the left-hand side and has his sights set on Summer's goal. Bale hovers over the free kick before curling a teasing cross towards the far post. Wales appeal for a corner as they insist Shaka got a touch on it. However, the referee, Turpin, gives a goal kick. Danger once again averted for the Swiss. And maybe the Swiss getting a little better of the chances, but uh, you can see that there's also some quality in Wales here. Uh, they're going to have to pick and choose their moments a little bit more than the Swiss are in this one, but you can see that there is some opportunities coming, and you can see the level to which, which they are capable of. Um. In the 40th, it's Rodriguez drifting inwards and scoops a right-footed pass over Mepham. Imbalo has the chance to capitalize, but he slips at the vital moment, which allows Rodin to come across and hook a clearance into the right-hand channel. We're going to go to halftime with that. It's nil-nil as uh, the final play. We had Imbolo with the final chance at 45 plus one, backing into Mepham as he collects Mababu's pass towards the penalty spot. The Swiss forward offloads to his partner, Seferovic, who from right in front of goal. Again, what did I just say about Seferovic? I've seen him do this 68 times at least this season. Make that 69 as he misses a right-footed shot from very, very close. 
and Mbolo could maybe have gone down from the contact and been given a penalty. We don't know. We still don't really know what's a penalty in this Euro. It's yet to be defined. We know what's not going to be. So in a way, that's a good thing because players are staying on their feet. Um, If they're not, it hasn't been called so far. Switzerland dominate the proceedings, enjoying large parts of possession for for prolonged spells, but the two sides wander to the tunnel, level nil-nil at the break. Seferovic, Shar, and Shaka have all gone close for Petkovic's men, while down the other end, Sommer produced a magnificent, magnificent save to deny more from what was uh, Wales's only half chance in the first half. Page's men started brightly, but their authority quickly faded. He will be aware that his side keep in, if his side keep inviting Switzerland forward and conceding possession all the time that they will be in trouble. Nevertheless, his team are level in their, in their opening fixture. Petkovic, while happy with his men's first half dominance, will be demanding his players be more clinical and opportunistic in front of goal. Uh, we head to the second half, and we get uh, we start off with another booking here. In the 47th, Kiefer Moore sees the yellow card as he's the first Welsh name to go into the book. For an aerial foul on Schar inside the Switzerland half. It looks like Moore caught the center back with the loose arm as he jumped to challenge. And after being caught by Moore's arm, Schar stays on the ground and requires some medical attention. A brief check from the physios on the touchline and Schar returns to play. A big save in the 49th. Seferovic plays a simple pass into Mbolo, who spins centrally, powers between Rodon and Mefem and utilizes his pace. The Swiss forward makes it in, makes it into the area before his powerful right-footed shot gets uh, gets turned behind by Ward. But subsequent corner, and finally the deadlock is broken. Shakiri whips in across a on the corner from the right-hand side towards the goal area, towards the six-yard area, as we call it in the United States. Mbolo. Holds off the challenge of Roberts using his strength to keep the right back at bay before heading it into the bottom left corner. Due to the cha- due to the chance of being from such close range, Ward has no chance to react and he can't stop it. Imbolo M- opens the scoring for his country and Switzerland take the lead 1-0 in the 49th minute. And it was a nice assist here for Sheridan Shakiri. And as was the case in the first half, Shakiri delivers a cross from the right-hand side. His in-swinging cross had pace on it and finding the head of Mbolo, who beats Roberts to the ball to head into the bottom left corner. So three of Switzerland's last four goals in European championships have come from corner kicks. And Wales have kept offering Petkovic's men chances to cross. And finally, they have been made to pay. 52nd minute, not long after, two minutes later, just wide. It's just a few minutes after Mbolo powers through the middle and he reaches the penalty spot. And this time, instead of shooting, he opts to offload to Mababu, who from the right of goal scuffs a right-footed strike to the goal of the goal to the left. And the right wing back puts his head in his hands as he knows he should have done better. One thing that's going to be real interesting I think when we look back on this tournament, because this this gets, this this game of football has is so cyclical, and there are there are techniques and there are strategies that come and they go. 
this era that we are in now is so defined by the inverted winger. And I, I meant to elaborate more on this last night when we talked about Insigne's goal, but it's just a classic 2020, 2021, you know, type of goal. I remember when I played this game, if you were right-footed and you were a wide player, you played on the right so you could beat your guy down the flank and then cross from your strong foot back towards goal. Today, wingers don't play to make that play. They put their strong leg on the inside so they can cut in and either look for the shot or play another player into the corner or look for a square ball to combine. Uh, we look for di different combinations today. The game has evolved and the, the, the methods and the strategy has changed. And I think when we look back on this era, it's going to be interesting to see. I just... And I, I'm really beginning to believe it's such an overuse of the inverted winger because it's getting easier and easier to defend. I do believe this is, it is getting easier and easier to defend. And it's getting easier for these smaller teams to get results because when that ball goes wide to that inverted winger, you know where he's going. If I played on the right wing as a 17-year-old when I played that position, and I'm running down the flank with the ball on my right foot. I was likely going to go right, but I could have gone left if I had an open teammate inside. You had to defend me. You used to defend me to force me central to put the ball on my weaker foot and into traffic where you had help if you were the defender. Today, I would have been playing on the other side of the pitch if I'm playing in that position. What happened as the game evolved was I didn't switch to the other side. I dropped into back and I played my final uh, adult senior football seasons as a right back, as a adapted right back. But as my pace kind of disappeared as I got older, got heavier and got less fit, uh, that that went away. But um, rather than becoming the inverted winger, I became a, a wing back, and uh, that's really what where you see that type of player now. Rather than in in the attack, you see him starting out of the back and working his way forward. And I think the inverted winger is just the the symbol of the the era we live in in the era of football that we watch today. But I really think it gives teams that are uh, that are less interested in attacking, more interested in playing organized and staying defensively structured. It gives them even more of a chance because today's wingers these inverted wingers are not really willing to take a touch line wide put it on their weak foot and whip in across on their weak foot very few of them are willing to do it i mean we go back to the champions league final and raheem sterling had no interest in doing that i i know he wasn't 100 fit but he wasn't protecting the ball and and now the way that these players carry the ball on their inside foot their strong foot without having their body in between the defender and the ball to protect it it's easier to defend against these teams. But this is the way everybody likes to play, and this is how people like to see the match. And you get these beautiful curling goals like we got from Insigne last night. So it is still 1-0 here. We'll move ahead to the 63rd, and Kevin Mababu goes in the referee's book for a yellow card. He slides in on James and is... And in the left-hand channel, looks to have won the ball, but referee Turpin sees it differently, awarding a free kick to Wales in a good position and cautioning the right wing back for his foul. 
and courtesy of his foul on James Ramsey, has the chance to deliver a left a cross from the left side. The midfielder whips in a, a wonderfully inviting ball to the back post where Rodon can't get to it, and uh, the cross races out for a goal kick. Shakiri goes close a minute later, 65th. Ventures forward before opting to offload to Imbolo. And then the left on the left of goal. The Swiss forward drops his shoulder one way and then the other before curling in a low right-footed strike towards the bottom right corner. Ward scrambles across the face of goal, however, and makes a save. His effort goes wide of the post after Ward getting his fingertips to it. We get a substitution now. In the 66, on comes Dennis Zakaria, replacing Sheridan Shakiri. Switzerland have scored more than one goal in only one of their 13 European 13 matches at the European Championships. A 2-0 home a win on home soil against Portugal in 20 in 2008 in the group stages. That was the last time they scored more than one goal. Another goal here would likely finish the match off. However, However, just when you count them out, we fast forward to the 74th. And it is the Welsh side who get on the board. And it is the Welsh side who pull a level. And you guessed it, it's Kiefer Moore. We've said that name a few times in this match. And he wanders across uh, across to the right to take a corner. Um, it was James wandering across the right, sorry, to take a corner before going short to Allen. The midfielder offloads to Morel, who whips in an inviting delivery towards the near post. Moore, with his head wrapped in, in tape um, from an earlier collision, gets across his man and flicks a header past Summer into the bottom left corner to make it 1-1 in Baku. And Page's faith in the Welsh forward has been repaid. It is 1-1, and it is a nice assist for Joe Morel as well. He lurks on the edge of the area. And after James's short corner, Allen offloads to the midfielder. Morel crosses towards the front post where Moore gets across his man to direct a header towards the bottom of the left corner. Thanks to the pace of the cross, Moore's flicked header races past Summer and goes into the back of the net. Wales are level, as we just said. couple substitutions now. In the 75th, it's David Brooks replacing Daniel James. That's it for the Manchester United forward. 84th, it is Mario... Gavronovich replacing Harris Seferovic and this nearly paid dividends in the in the very next minute as it looked like Gavronovic had put the Swiss back ahead and he had made an instant impact as he ghosts into the six yard area scoops up a left footed strike pass Ward initially the referee awards the goal but this is 2021 and for the first time at the Euros we have this thing called VAR it was unveiled, you know, at the Confederations Cup back in 2017, but it's yet to be used. This is the first edition of the Euros where we've seen it. And if you're seeing what I'm doing, this is what you have to do after every goal. So you can't celebrate a goal before it's been confirmed. I am convinced I would love to get a sports psychologist on here and explain this to me because I believe that this is such a swing of momentum and such a swing of mental fortitude when this happens because eventually the referee the VAR official reviews the goal and overturns the decision Gavronovic is shown to be marginally offside 
And what you have is the roar you just heard from the Swiss fans goes away. It's a gasp. The Swiss players are completely deflated because they just spent 90 seconds celebrating the goal like they had just clinched the three points. And it's the Welsh fans on their feet celebrating like they just scored a goal because they were losing and now they're not. I have to say that the psychological impact of these decisions can completely change the match. It can completely change the thinking of one team versus the other. And inevitably, um, that was it for Switzerland. I mean, they may have another half chance somewhere, but we would see this match played out and the referee will blow his whistle for full time at 90 plus five. It's Wales one, Switzerland one, Wales and Switzerland play out a one, one draw in their Euro 2020 group. A fixture Petkovic is men dominated large parts of the proceedings and in uh, gave his country a well-deserved des lead with a headed effort past Ward in the second half. Moore went on to equalize for Page's team, who failed to test su uh, Summer otherwise. Gavronovic then thought he had snatched a late winner, but VAR indicated that the substitute was offside. Um, and that will sum it up, and we can now switch the screen here. As we go and we take a look here at the goal point, I will pull it up. And if you don't know, if you didn't watch yesterday, goal point is the analytics website I'm using. It's a Portuguese analytics website. Therefore, it is. I do need to do some translating for you. But as I pull it up here, here are the player ratings and the XG and all that good stuff that the that us football nerds and our anal us analytics nerds like to look at. Let's go through the ratings, starting with the Welsh side. Ward in goal has a 6.4 rating, a very good rating for the man from Leicester City. Roberts, 5.0. Mafam, 5.7. Roden, 5.5. And Ben Davis, Davies, however you want to pronounce it, 5.8. Daniel James, 5.7. Aaron Ramsey, 5.5. Allen, 4.7. Uh, Joe Morell, 5.7. And Gareth Bale, a disappointing 4.5. He really was not a factor at all in this match. But you know who was a factor? Who else? The man of the hour, the goal scorer, and he was the man of the match. Well, he was kind of the man of the match, I guess. He was the highest rated player for the Welsh. And it is it is Kiefer Moore as he earns a 6.7. And you see there the substitutes. Brooks got a 5.0. And Padu, uh, not on the pitch long enough to earn the the rating. And you can see there that Wales did well to get a goal as their XG, their expected goals, was 0.4. Their average team rating, 5.54. At the other end of the pitch, you got the Swiss. And there's their average team rating, 5.96. There's their expected goal, 1.8. So they're going to feel hard done by this result if they use that, that analytic as an indicator of of how they should have done. Some people believe very strongly in expected goals. Other people don't believe in it at all. I'm just giving you the information. You are free to, to like it, to not like it, to think it's useful, to think it's useless. It's all good with me. I'm just there provided for you. Jan Summer in goal, 5.3 rating. Elvedi with a 6.8. He had a good day. Uh, Shar 5.6 and Akanji 6.3. Rodriguez, 5.6. Shaka, 5.2. Froiler, 6.1. And Mababu, 
5.5. Seferovich with a 5.1. Shakiri 6.1. And then Imbolo with the man of the match performance, according to this goal point analytic. He had an 8.3. We'll look at some of the other statistics first. We'll look at, at the man of the match here or the best on the pitch. It is Briel Imbolo as he had one goal is what it says there. He had six shots, three of them on goal. He had created one very good chance here, one flagrant chance, they're calling it. Um, he set up two shots. with He had made two passes that led to shots. He had five valiant. I'm, I always, when I see this particular statistic, I don't always know how to translate it. Um, valiant offensive passes. Um, valuable, perhaps, is what that word means. I'm not entirely sure. But he had five of those. And he had uh, he conducted he induct he conducted three approximations. So he he closed down space three times, I believe, with five dribbles and three of them being successful. And you can see his heat map here, and look how much time he spent in the box. That's what you want from your forwards. That's what you want from your strikers. You want them doing their business in here in the penalty area. Very good game for Briel Imbolo. A couple of the stats here. Shots 18 to 9 in favor of the Swiss. Shots on goal 4 to 2 in favor of the Swiss. Actions in the opponent's half of the field 30 to 11 in favor of the Swiss. This is a stat I really like. This tells me a lot more about the match than, for example, this one down here of possession. Um, corners 12 to 4 in favor of the Swiss. Look at the Swiss's pass efficiency 88% to 82 for the Welsh. And here's another one of my favorite statistics, the vertical pass efficiency, 72% for Switzerland, 57% for Wales. And then um, defensive actions in the opposing midfield. Wales actually won that battle 6-5. to five. Uh, Switzerland committed more fouls and had more possession of the ball. All right, that wraps up this match. Let's now go to Group A here as I believe you're seeing it on your screen. And I'm going to change my screen so I can see what you're seeing. No, you're still looking at goal point. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll show you now the table so that we can look at the table in Group A as it stands because we won't see Group A again for uh, for a few days. And it's right there. It is Italy, top of the group with three points. The only team with three points. Very good start. You couldn't have asked for a better start if you're Italy. They're basically qualified now. They've basically guaranteed third place at the bare minimum. And with that plus goal three, uh, that plus three goal difference, in very good shape to finish as one of the top three, uh, or finish as one of the top four. Excuse me, third place finishers. Switzerland right now in second based on I honestly don't know what because it was a 1-1 draw. Uh, maybe it's alphabetical <laughs> as they're just their level essentially with Wales as they each have one point. And Turkey is from behind. But this, abs uh, this actually, guys, was a very good result for Turkey. Um, this forgives them for their performance a little bit yesterday. This forgives their incompetency yesterday this forgives their three goal shellacking because it's still in their own hands if they go out and win two matches they're going to advance in fact if they go out and win if they go out and get four points even with that goal difference i think that's enough to advance as one of the top 
third place teams. So everything's still to play for here in group A. All right, we'll go to group B and we've talked somewhat about the Denmark Finland game. Um I don't really want to break this game down. I don't think it's fair to do that. I think the story of this match, unfortunately, is the terrible um, situation that happened to Christian Eriksen. But as the match came back after, I don't know, a two-hour delay, um, we saw the game be a little bit fidgety. We saw the teams a little bit um, slow, I guess you could say. Again, I think the teams were in shock still, and they were they were slowly coming back too. So in the 60th minute, Joel Pohampalo scores for the Finns and sends some shockwaves through Copenhagen. But again, you can see the Finnish players not really that interested in celebrating all too much. They're performing very professionally here, but you can see that their hearts are not necessarily into this the same way. Uh, they go ahead a goal to nil. 14 minutes later, referee will point to the spot and Denmark will have a penalty kick up here. Emil Hoiberg will miss the penalty kick. It is saved by the goalkeeper, Lucas uh, Radecki, who was phenomenal in this match, let me tell you, as uh, he on sofa score earned the highest rating of any player thus far in the tournament. Um, probably because he's the only one to save a penalty kick at this point. But the match would would be seen to as in 90th plus four. The referee, Anthony Taylor, the English referee, blows whistle to full time. Of course, this is at the Telia Parkin in Copenhagen in front of 15,200. A very healthy crowd. And unfortunately, this match is marred by what happened. And this match will always be remembered for what happened. And to be honest... Very few are going to remember the result of this match, but they're going to remember that Christian Eriksen was all right, and they're going to remember both sets of fans singing and celebrating his his health and then cheering the medics and the medical staff that presumably saved his life. We'll move to the final game here, and there's not a lot to say about this one either. Not that I don't want to give it any respect, but it is everything you would have expected it's at the St. Petersburg Stadium in St. Petersburg. The referee is Antonio Mateo of Spain. It is Belgium 3, Russia 0. Let's look at the lineups in this one. We'll start with Russia, managed, of course, by Stanislav Cherisov. Cherisov, excuse me. He's got Anton Shunin in goal. He's playing 4-2-3-1. Mario Fernandes is right back. Andre Semenov and Georgi Jizikia is are the center back pairing with Yuri Zirkov. Yes, Yuri Zirkov. Yuri Zirkov, who is 37 years old, is starting at left back. The Zenit St. Petersburg wing back or left back, not really a wing back, still in this Russian national team. Double pivot in front of him, Dmitry Baranov and Magomed Ozdeov, Ozdeev, excuse me, with three attacking mids in front of him, Roman Zobnin, Alexander Golovin, and Adalier Kuzilev. And they're playing behind the striker and captain, Artem Dzuba. 
the number one ranked team in the world on the other side of the pitch. It is Belgium. Roberto Martinez is their manager. They're playing in a 3-4-3. Of course, they've got Champions League winning uh, or former Champions League winning goalkeeper. I should say he's not at Chelsea anymore. I just had a flashback. No, he's Real Madrid's goalkeeper. Thibaut Courtois, he's the goalie. Uh, Three-man back line in front of him. Toby Alderweireld of Tottenham, Didrik Boyata, and my Befica's uh, center back. He's also the captain of Belgium, Jan Vertonghen on the left. In front of them, four midfielders. Wide on the left is Torgan Hazard, the younger Hazard. He's from Borussia Dortmund, of course. Yuri Tittlesman and Leander Dinenker are the two center midfielders with Timothy Castagny, Castagny wide on the right. And then the formidable three-man attack, just a power attack of Romelu Lukaku at the striker position. And what a, what a match he had. Yanni Carrasco to his left and Dries Mertens to his right. Notable by his absence, of course, is Kevin De Bruyne, still recovering from that injury, suffered in the Champions League final. And it was the Romelu Lukaku show um, in many ways as we'll go we'll go to the goal point and go right to, to the players' ratings here as we'll break th- this down from an analytical sense. But Russia had no business in this match, essentially. Uh, at no point did I feel Russia were threatening to do anything at all. And playing in a ho- on a home pitch, this was not the same type of fight that you saw from the Russians, you know, three years ago at the World Cup when they hosted the World Cup. Uh, they were just not up to the task today. As I'm going to bring up the goal point here on your screen. They were not up to the task as Belgium was free to do as they pleased today. And you can see the ratings there. Um, we'll focus on Belgium today. No disrespect to Russia, but... We've been going a little bit long today, given everything that happened. And we'll focus here on, on Belgium. And you'll see they had an overall average rating of 5.95. And scoring three goals off of 1.4 expected goals. That's always good when you overachieve in that way. Courtois, 5.5. Castagne, 5.0. Alderweireld, uh, 5.9. Boyata, 6.1. Vertonghen, 5.9. Hazard, 5.7. Thielmans, 5.7. Dedunker, 5.4. And then you got Mertens with a 5.4. Carrasco, 5.2. But it all gets resolved by a man named Rumelu Lukaku, the Inter striker, the newly crowned champion of the Serie A. Uh, He scores two goals, and he makes a case for himself as an early favorite to win the golden boot in this competition. Uh, very good performance. You know, that's that third and final goal that was the dagger in the hearts of the Russians. He was just too powerful and too fast. He made a very simple run, but but Zekia just couldn't run with him. He couldn't keep pace with him. And let's look at his heat map again. Uh, Romelu Lukaku is a striker. Two goals, three shots, two goals from, from two goals on, on frame. That is a heck of a finishing perf- percentage. Um, he also put in an 81% pass efficiency today, made two long passes and connected them both very, very good performance today from the man from Inter. And if you look again at this heat map, just look where he's doing his damage in and around the box. 
Strikers get in trouble when they their heat map starts to show them out here in the in the edge of the attacking third, closer to the middle third. That's where strikers will get in trouble. And um, if you're a good defensive side and you're well organized and you can push up a little bit, you can make them do that. And suddenly, see what happened in the Champions League final is that because he's not a true nine because he's not a true striker. Kevin De Bruyne had to come further and further in midfield to get service. And now he's playing in midfield facing his own goal. And there isn't a player on planet earth that's dangerous to anybody that far away from goal facing his own goal. If Manchester City had a Romelu Lukaku, I think it would have been a different, a much different Champions League final. Because he finds the spaces. He doesn't get suckered into coming in so deep to receive the ball. He finds the spaces. He makes the runs, and then his intelligent teammates show why they many regard them as the best team in the world as they just move the ball around. You know, like just with ease, just with ease, working it around patiently. All right, we'll look at some stats that I have here from Fought Mob. Um, I didn't really go through them on the goal point. I'll go through them here with, from Fought Mob, but. Almost 67% possession for for Belgium. And, I mean, nine total shots, six chances created, 647 accurate passes to Russia's 263. And some of that's by design, but, I mean, that's too little involvement from Russia. Uh, a 90% pass efficiency for for. Belgium, and I'm not always going to tout that stat as necessarily a good thing because that lacks context. But you add nine total shots to that possession, that tells me that possession was in dangerous spaces. Six big chances created, according to FOTMOB. Three goals. That's possessing with a purpose. That's not possessing for possession's sake. And then when you lose, you say, yeah, but we had more possession. We didn't deserve to lose. That that's not the case. Russia were in no control in this match. They did not force Belgium to do anything they didn't want to do. They didn't force them to become impatient. They didn't force the issue at all. Russia were very much bystanders in this match playing at home. And I think that's very disappointing from a host. But perhaps this is where they are right now in their cycle. Everything is cyclical, especially in world football. And maybe Russia just kind of peaked out and topped out at, at World Cup 2018. And maybe they're on the descent. Um, it seemed a very uninspiring performance. Of course, perhaps they were affected by, you know, the Christian Eriksen. I, I don't want to call it an accident, but uh, the episode uh, when, when Lukaku scored his first goal, he went over to the corner and said, I love you, Chris. You know who he's talking to. He's talking to his inter-teammate. And again, I get emotional about this stuff because there is a bond between these teams and these players. When you have shared a locker room, you understand. When you have traveled, heck, when you have traveled an hour a week to an away match with a group of guys, there's a bond. Whether your staff, whether your players, whether your the medical staff, the the kit man, the physio, it doesn't matter. There's a bond that is forged. Coaches, players, staff, everybody involved. Never mind at this level where they travel the world together. 
where they travel across Europe. I just, I cannot verbalize the bond between the people you share a locker room with. To this day, everyone I ever shared a locker room with at every level, whether it was at high school, whether it was kids I coached, whether it was, you know, the fourth division here in the United States, whether we traveled to Ottawa, Canada, or to Clearwater Beach, Florida for, for these matches, wherever we went. There's an unbreakable bond I have with those dudes. And man, if anything like this happened, I, you know, please people reach out to your friends. Keep in touch with each other. Keep in touch with each other. Because you never know how many players in the world that have shared the locker room with Christian Erickson. Thought they had lost a friend and a brother today. Yeah, I get emotional about this. You're damn right I do. And anyone who's ever been in the trenches and who's ever been in the locker room, when times are good and when times are bad, whoever's been in a hotel room when your club has left you with no spending money and you got to figure out how to eat and it's match day. There's a group of guys I share that bond with too. Imagine. But this is how you build a team. This is how you build chemistry. I'll never forget the, the 13 guys, along with myself, the assistant coach, that were stranded, uh, sort of, in a, in a hotel room in Ottawa, Canada on, on match day while somebody else went sightseeing, left with no, no match day meal allowances. Yeah. You share these experiences with people, and I'm not saying that happens to players at this level, but things happen to players at this level, and they go through it together. And I don't know, that just, that that touches me when you see Romelu Lukaku saying, I love you, Chris, as he scores a goal. Here's a guy who's competing against you right now. But footballers have a bond that is so strong. And when you're in, whether you're in a national team together or you're in a club team together, you build those bonds and they don't break. They don't break. Man, I never imagined a day like this ever in podcasting this game, podcasting the sport. When I started doing this, I never in my wildest imagination thought I would come on here and talk live to you no less after the events that we saw unfold today and I love this game more than ever I love this this football more than I ever have and I don't have to play it to love it because I'm my eyes are glued to it I don't care where I go in the world I've gone to Hawaii and told the tour bus to pull over because there was a match there were kids playing seven aside it had been days since I'd seen any football. I'm on my honeymoon. My wife and I stopped the tour guide for 20 minutes to watch the rest of a youth match in Hawaii. The next time I go to Portugal, it probably won't be in the summer. 
It'll be during football season because I can't imagine not seeing football wherever I go. I love this sport. And days like this remind me not to take it for granted. Okay, let's take a look at the table in Group B. All right. Easy victory for Belgium. And we will wrap up this episode here. As it's only day two. And Belgium sit top of the group. Three points, three goals, four, none allowed. Finland second with one goal, four, none allowed. Denmark and Russia now, uh, they sit with zero points each. And I'm not sure here what the next matches hold for them. Let's take a look. As I'll bring up Denmark here and see what's next for Denmark. Their next match is against Russia, so they'll be in a must-win, but they'll regroup mentally, especially if all continues to go well with uh, with Christian Eriksen. I doubt we're going to see him play, and who knows when we'll see him play again, but that really doesn't matter right now, let's be honest. But I think by the time that match with Russia rolls around on match day two, that uh, Denmark will be focused, and, and they'll go recover the three points they dropped today. They, I think they know as much as I, and I do believe they could care less how today's result worked out. I think uh, they were very admirable to even get up and play. And, uh, well, yeah, they were they were very admirable to, to even play. So I don't think tonight they're sleep. If they're sleeping, they're not losing sleep over the result. They're losing sleep over something much more important. By the time that second match goes around, assuming everything goes okay with Christian Eriksen, Denmark's will be ready to play, and they may very well smash Russia. <laughs> Let, let's be honest. If Russia come out the way they did today, uh, they're going to get another smashing, especially from a team that's going to be highly motivated. They're going to dedicate the rest of this tournament to their teammate, and they're going to be playing with a lot of heart, a lot of passion, and watch out for the Danish. Rusev Crush, old friend here. Leo in the chat <laughs> saying Rusev Crush. You can't use that term, Leo. Rusev is a WWE property. Miro now works for AEW, and he was Bulgarian, not Russian. That was another problem with that character. But uh, anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this uh, second episode or the second night of the Euro. All right, gone a little long tonight because there's much to talk about. And Miro Crush is what is what Leo's saying now. Uh, make sure you give him a follow over at DGens United. He's always giving you good betting advice. And uh, this is a free advertisement. I didn't take any money for it. But I will tell you to go over to BetterThan.Vegas and check out the videos there. Get plenty of good betting advice. Tons of good stuff involving uh, this Euro. And once we get out of this uh, group phase... I'll bring up the table in the Pick'em Challenge, and we'll see how everybody is doing. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me again. This is the Mr. Mike Augustine. You Thank you for sitting through uh, this, this longer episode tonight. Um, very, very, very uh, event-loaded day here at Euro 2020. It's only the second day. What does tomorrow bring? we got England versus Croatia. We've got Ma uh, Northern Macedonia versus... I've got it here. Uh, my brain is is starting to Northern Macedonia versus Austria in in the final match of the day tomorrow. The late one, the one I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the Netherlands versus Ukraine. So we'll see 
how uh, these matches work out. A lot of pressure on England. They're very, very confident. Listen, I've been listening to talk sport. I love talk sport during these these major tournaments. Okay, they they give so much in-depth coverage. But they're always so confident in England. And every tournament, I've been listening to talk sport now for probably 10 years. I think World Cup 2010 was when I first started streaming talk sport. If it wasn't, it was Euro 2012. It, it has been that long. They are always so confident that it's coming home. And while England have a good side, and maybe the draw goes their way, I haven't looked at what England got coming forward. Please stop putting unnecessary pressure on your young team. One match at a time. So for them, it starts bright and early tomorrow. At least here on the East Coast, it's early. It's even earlier on the West Coast. So set your alarms on the West Coast for a 6 a.m. kickoff. England versus Croatia. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to all three matches. And then Monday, we get the return of the Tartan Army to European football when Scotland take on the Czech Republic. Also, Poland and Slovakia on Monday and Spain and Sweden. Lots of big matches coming up. I love these tournaments because the matches just keep on going. And it's day after day after day. And I, I tell you, when these things end, you go into a withdrawal system where you, you're looking for matches. You're looking for football. And you just can't can't feed the itch that you that you <laughs> the itch that you acquired over the course of the month of all this, all these matches in these international tournaments. And this no doubt will be a memorable one. I don't doubt that. Okay. Uh this is gonna be one for the history books. And um I can't wait to see it all fold out. All right, day two is over. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow, 8 o'clock Eastern time, right back here where you're watching right now or on the podcast feed shortly thereafter. Peace out. And don't forget to subscribe also. I keep forgetting to say that. Go right there where it says subscribe and subscribe to the channel. Peace out, everybody. In a pool of light Electricity in the room tonight Born from fire Sparks flying from the sun Hey, I hardly know you Can I confess? I feel your heart Beating in my chest If you come with me Tonight is gonna be the one Cause you faith and no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad but you might just be right
heart that works from a broken place that's where the victory's won Cause you fail no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad but you might just be right 